Well, being Father's Day today, we are later in the service going to be honoring and praying for the fathers, for those who are present, for those of you fathers joining us online as well, and welcome to everyone joining online, those of you uh, listening to this message as well, welcome, welcome, welcome. And today we're going to continue this series. Remember on Mother's Day, we, we started a series on, on parenting, raise them up. And uh, we're going to continue uh, that series today. Um, as you know, twice a year, we, we take uh, two days, you know, one to celebrate mothers and one to celebrate fathers. And, um, but actually parenting is a 24-7 job, eh? 356 days a year. It just never stops. But it's good to take these times, 365 days a year. It's always good to stop and, and honor fathers and mothers as we'll be doing uh, today. But uh, because we're doing that, we're going to talk about what fathers and mothers do, which is to raise children. In part one, we learned that parenting, uh, being a mother, being a father, raising children, is a high calling. It's a very high calling. And we need to understand this, that, you know, uh, actions have reactions, okay? Our choices have consequences. And talking about fathers today, I'm going to be talking to fathers specifically later on. But, you know, having a child is a, is a gift from God. And it's not just something that, that happens. We know how kids come about. All right. And once they're there, we are supposed to dedicate ourselves to raising them up. And so we also heard that although in the Bible, there are not many specific instructions or commands. I mean, there is no chapter in the Bible that says, this is how to be a mother. This is how to be a father. You don't find that. You find some general here and there, general instructions. But there are enough stories in the Bible that gives us guidelines and principles in bringing our children up. And obviously, as we, as we find out about those principles, we quickly realize that as a parent, the one thing we have to do and to have is a relationship with God. And one of the reasons the Bible does not have instructions for children is that any, any parent, any couple here, any father, any mother who has had more than one child knows that no two kids are alike. That's why you can't create a handbook for kids or for parents. Not only is each one of your children different than the previous one, your kids are different than everybody else's. And so I've tried, you know, in my younger years, I would, I would listen to my colleagues at work and to my brothers and sisters and so on and, 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 and listen to what they're doing about raising their kids and, and what are they but. I could never get one specific thing that applies to all. I was speaking up general principles, which then I had to adapt to my first child. And I thought I could repeat to my second child. I could not. I had to adapt again to my second child. So that's why the Bible does not give you specifics. It gives you general principles. It contains many stories that illustrate the complexities of the uh, relationship between parents and their sons and daughters. And those relationships can be complex sometimes. It starts off very well when you can hold them in your arms, you know, and move them about. It's very easy. But once they learn to walk and once they learn to talk and once they learn a couple of things, they begin to talk back to you. And then they want to discuss things with you, give you their opinion, and argue with you. And you can't exactly just squash it and say, hey, you know. <laughs> so it can be interesting as you bring children up. All right? Now, these stories in the Bible, they help us to understand that bringing up children in a way that they become responsible adults and followers of Christ does not depend on the effort of parents alone. It depends on more than that. It also requires, <clears throat> what I mean by that is, it does not depend on only on what the parents do. Because very often we as parents, we want to get the formula right. And we think, if I do this one, two, three, and I repeat this, you know, for a number of years, then everything is going to be okay. And my kids are going to turn out fine. And then I can tell everybody, I did it my way. And look what happened to my kids, you know. And we quickly find it does not work. You need more than just your efforts. 
You need to trust in God. You need to pray. You need to seek wisdom. You need to have that relationship of trusting God. And that's what today's message is all about. This is part two. Trust in God. Okay? Raise them up. Part two. Trust God. Amen? Trust God. Now, God is the ultimate father. Amen? And by the way, and as we were this morning, uh, some of us have earthly fathers still present, some not. But God is the father to the fatherless. And so we can embrace that. But God does not sugarcoat his word. The stories in the Bible are told to us as raw as they happened. And you would think that stories in the Bible where God is involved, where godly men and women are involved, you would think those stories always have a happy ending. Amen. Ah, they lived happily ever after. Not so. Some of the stories in the Bible have tragic endings, disappointing endings, unexpected endings, because God wants to show us and let us see that in this world, because of, 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 of what sin has done to the whole universe, things don't always work out the way you want them to work out, even as believers. He does not sugarcoat his word. And so beware of preachers who tell you that, oh, if you follow Jesus, your life will turn around and everything is going to be okay. You'll never be sick again. You'll never be poor again. You'll never be sad again. Your family is going to be wealthy, blessed, and your kids are going to be angels, and your wife is going to always please you, and your husband is going to be the man. And Be careful with that. We live in a real world. Very reward. And if you believe that kind of stuff, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yes, we do have a new life in Jesus. Yes, we have a new identity. What are we saying here? I am a child of God. That is settled. Nothing is going to change that. We have a new hope. We have inner peace, the shalom of God. We have eternal life. And we have the presence of God in our lives, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. But... We still have to face challenges. God has not removed that. He's given us the strength to go through those things. And, and today, <laughs> the, the stories I'm going to share with you are not very happy stories. They're sad stories. But we need to face these realities and learn from them as well. Okay? They, they may seem to contradict what we be, want to believe as parents. But be patient, okay? Because there is an important lesson to be learned. And uh, remember what the Bible says, that all scripture, all right, the nice stories and the happy stories and the sad stories and the tragic stories, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Amen. For, for instruction in righteousness. So we're going to learn even from these stories as well. So let us turn to the Bible. And we're going to start with the story of two kings. Story of two kings. And so let's go to the book of Kings. And uh, we're going to read some passages, some, some verses in, in chapter 15 of Kings. And some verses in chapter 16 of Kings. Let's start with 1 Kings 15 verses 9 to 12. 1 Kings 15 Verses 9 to 12. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. Asa, verse 11, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. As did his father David. And when he says his father David, it wasn't his direct father, like his, his, his a couple of generations back, okay? And he banished, it's actually his great grandfather, I think. And he banished the perverted grandfather. And he, perver and he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. You see, after Solomon died, the kingdom was split. Solomon had been kind of to build his wonderful, wonderful kingdom that he had. 
he had to raise up some taxes. And so after he died, his son came along. And what did his son do? He decided to raise the taxes a little bit more. And so people rebelled, and there was a split. You know, the northern tribes became, you know, one, one kingdom, and the southern tribes became another kingdom. And so this son of Solomon was not a godly man. And he began to do things which are against the will of God. And, and he started off a whole bunch of people who were evil. Until this guy comes along, Asa. Asa. Asa became king. And um, he actually broke something because his father had been evil. But Asa did what was pleasing to God. Now let's go to 1 Kings chapter 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. So now Asa, Asa is, re, is, is the king of the, of, the, of the south, Judah. Okay, he, While he's king there, up in the north, Ahab, the son of Anri, became king over Israel. Israel was the northern, northern kingdom. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. When that kingdom split, the very first king of the north was an evil man. He turned his back onto God and he began to bring in idolatry. I've spoken about this before here. He brought in idolatry. The following king did the same. The following king did the same. And then when this guy comes along, he did worse than all the previous guy put together. Ahab. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sons of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel. Now, remember the story, right? Ahab and Jezebel. All right. He took Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. So not only did he allow idols and things in his kingdom, he actively pursued the worship of Baal. <laughs> later in the chapter, verse 33, says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This guy is bad news. Now, here's what I want you to see in this story. I don't want, you don't have to get into the whole the detail, but you can go home and read these two chapters. They talk a lot because the chapters, they talk, they talk about northern and southern kingdom interchangeably. And it's just one bad king after the other. It's terrible what goes on there after the death of Solomon. But here's the point. Somewhere along the line, Asa comes along here in Judah and he breaks the pattern. Instead of continuing worshiping idols and, and ignoring God, he breaks the pattern and he begins to bring in back the worship of God and get rid of idols and stuff like that. Meantime, in the north, not only did those kings continue worshiping idols and, and you know, bring, raising up the wrath of God, this guy comes along and he does more evil than all the other guys put together. Two kings, both sons of evil fathers who went against the will of God. Both had the same upbringing. Both had no godly father figures. Both kings reigned at the same time. One in the north, one in the south. One, Ahab, led Israel and Asa led Judah. One king, Asa, he broke the cycle of evil and did what was right in the eyes of God. He removed even his grandmother as, as queen because she had made an idol and then he publicly burned that idol. The other king in the neighboring region of Israel, Ahab, he did not break the cycle of evil and instead followed in the footsteps of his father. Instead of condemning the idolatry of Israel, he embraced it along with even more evil. Two men with similar upbringing, not godly upbringing, but two different Paths. Two different paths. So you see, there is more than just upbringing that makes up a son and a daughter. We must understand, while they are children, we are shaping them, we are forming them. But as they grow up, 
they will make up their minds. You see, that's why we cannot blame our parents for who we are. Hello? I'm talking to grown-ups now. Because too many grown-ups, they say, oh, yeah, my parents, ne? Oh, dysfunctional family, ne? Dad mad, mama cuckoos, and that's why I'm like this. It's not my fault. I was born this way. Uh-uh. There is more than just parental upbringing. Yes, we must bring kids the best way we can. We must bring them in the ways of the Lord. But listen to me. Once you hit that age where you understand right from wrong, it's on you. Well, let me show you a contrasting story. Still a sad story, but it's a contrasting story. And now the story of two fathers who are godly men. <laughs> okay. Let's look at them and their sons. First, the sons of Eli. He was a priest. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 and verses 22. I'm not going to go into all the detail. You can read more there to get more detail. But verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. The sons of the priest in the temple were corrupt. Now, these guys were not idolaters. They didn't go against the ways of the Lord. They were in the temple. They were serving with a father in the temple. Now, Eli is an old man. And so these guys, they are in the temple. But it says there, they were corrupt. If you read on further, you see that these guys were, as the people would sacrifice to the temple to be offered to God, these guys went there and they took for themselves a fat share of that sacrifice. If the guys brought meat to be offered to the Lord, they'd come there and before the meat is completely offered, they take some nice big portions of meat. This is for the priest. Thank you. <laughs> it got worse. Verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting. These guys are involved now in immorality now. So they're in the temple, and they're serving. But they now committing adultery and fornication and whatever. Abusing the faith and the trust of these women. It's how can they do that? You must understand. Back in those days, and by the way, it's still happening today, but back in those days, uh, women that came to the temple, they, they believed everything the priest said because he's the man of God. And if the man of God says, my sister, come, you need to comfort your priest today. <laughs> they would comfort the priest. Thinking they're doing Something to honor God. It happens today. Pastors and priests. How many, how many, how many have you read about? Huh? Men of God. Abusing women. Having sexual and homosexual relationships. In the name of the Lord. Sad, isn't it? But here's the point. These boys, they were the sons of a godly man. Let's go to the sons of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons... Did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Wow. They were not idolaters, but they used their position to usurp people. Eli, a high priest, Samuel, a prophet, both men devoted to God. Yet their sons did not follow in the footsteps. Instead, the young men turned towards sex and greed. You see, 
We must do our part to bring our children in the ways of the Lord as godly men and women. However, once they grow up, they have to take that decision for themselves. They must take a decision just like you have taken a decision for yourself. Like you take decisions every day. We are all here as we're sitting over here. 100% of us, we are sons and daughters. And we take decisions. And we cannot blame our fathers and our parents for who we are and the decisions we make. As you saw in these real life stories, Someone who was raised up in a way that was away from God, that person can turn to God. Just like someone who was raised up in the ways of the Lord can turn away from God. And I've seen both of these things happening in my lifetime. I've seen guys and girls who grew up in the church and then they turn their back and they go their own way. Fortunately, some of them eventually came back again to the Lord. But also we've seen people that have grown up in, away from the Lord. And then they hear the gospel. And they come to Jesus and they honor God. They turn their backs. Sometimes at great expense, they turn their backs on their family traditions and, and, and unbelief and stuff like that to serve Jesus. So, where does that leave us as parents? Is there any point in bringing our children up, if they can do anything they want anyway? <laughs> it's a good question. So let's get back to the word again. Let's go to Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's a well-known verse. I'm about to blow up your Bible as well, but on this one, but we are going to read it anyway. And it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Powerful verse. So there's the answer. You don't want your kids to go around. Just train them up in the way they should go. And they will never depart. Right? Well, so what happened to Samuel and Eli? What happened to their boys? He trained them up in the way you should go. Listen. Let's spend a little bit of, bit of time here. This verse is a proverb. And... Sometimes when we, we read a verse like Proverbs 22, 6, we want to cling on to it as a promise. Okay? This is a promise. And we think, if I just do it right, if I take my, if I drag my kids to church every Sunday, if I read the Bible for them every day, if I pray with them, and if I do this, they're going to be okay. And what are you focusing on? On what you are doing. If I do this, they're going to be that. That's the one way we look at it. Or maybe we see this verse a little bit later in life because you might come to a point where your child disappoints you. I've known good parents whose children have disappointed them, gone against the values and morals they learned at home. And so if you see this verse as a problem, then this verse becomes to you a terrible truth. Because if our kids turn away from the ways we taught them, what does it mean? It means I did a bad job. Maybe I did not train up the way they should go. I made a mess of my training. And that's why my kids are like that. Arrgh! You see what's happening over here? If you misunderstand what is going on in the scripture and, and, and realize that this is a problem or the meaning of this verse is, it can become either a, 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 a promise which could disappoint you or something to hurt you and turn against you. A terrible truth if something goes wrong. You see, and none of these points is particularly true. Bible scholar R.C. Sproul says, A common mistake in biblical interpretation and application is to give a proverbial saying... The weight or force of a moral absolute. In the Bible, there are moral absolutes. But Proverbs are not moral absolutes. Proverbs are statements of what is normally true 
but not necessarily true all the time. Okay? It gives us an indication, gives us direction, but it is not a promise. Not a promise. We get into trouble if we think that this is a guarantee or a promise that if we raise them up right, they will remain faithful to God and to the values we taught them. Many godly parents in the Old Testament, including the two fathers we read about today, Eli and Samuel, they saw some children who did not turn out well. Sometimes children who had no godly upbringing turn out to be faithful to God like King Asa. Another example is, is the parable of Jesus. Remember when he gave that story of the father with the two sons? We know it as the prodigal son. The father with the two sons. Remember? Now, we know that the prodigal son eventually returned to the house. When that story ends, you're still not quite sure what happened to the older guy. Did he eventually make right with his brother and his father? It kind of hanging over there. But here's the point. Those two boys got the same upbringing from the father. So we should not assume that it was inadequate training of that father that caused one boy to be a prodigal and the other to be, you know, all proud and unforgiving and so forth, rebellious. So we must take our calling and our work as parents seriously. But the source of our children's faith the source of the direction of their lives has to be a transformed heart. Their transformed heart through Jesus and not by our own creation or by trying to do some sort of behavior modification in our kids. So what do we need? We need to trust God. By trusting God to do the transforming work of salvation through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we as parents... We do not have to live in fear that we are ruining our kids' lives when we sometimes mess up or don't do exactly as we should because we do mess up sometimes. Parents and mothers, in given moments, sometimes we say things we shouldn't, we do things we shouldn't, and now I'm going to destroy my kids. No, 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 no. Trust God. It helps adults not to base their value or spiritual maturity on how well their kids perform. By trusting God, we can be confident that regardless of our history, before Christ, our children have to walk the same path. We and them have to walk the same path with Christ. Regardless of our history. Our children can live vibrant lives of faith in God's grace. Even if you don't do 100% as you should. Now, I'm not saying this to excuse you from doing what you should. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that even the most faithful parents sometimes will miss it. Sometimes will make mistakes. Sometimes will feel as if they made a mistake. You make a choice today, you think it's the right choice. Then in five or ten years time you look back and say, maybe I shouldn't have made that choice. But you don't have to beat yourself up. Trust God. He is the one ultimately that needs to help and lead your children. That's what baby dedication is all about. As we come before the church and before God and say, God, thank you for this life. And I, I acknowledge I've got this life for a few years, for a window of time. But Lord, it's not mine. It is yours. And we dedicate the child to God. Trusting God to be the one taking care of that life. I will do my best. But I cannot be there 100% of the time. God can I will do my best, but I cannot be every way my child is. God can. I will do my best, but I can never know exactly what's going on in their minds and hearts. God does. God knows. And I have to trust God. Yeah, this child is yours, Lord. Please look after them. You do what I cannot do, Father. I'll do what I can. I'll be faithful, as faithful as I know how. I will do it. But Lord, you, please. So you trust God. It's an everyday thing. For Christians, we can have faith that even when we can't help, God is still present in our lives and in their lives. 
And we can persevere, never giving up on our children, knowing that God can both empower us to love unconditionally through the Spirit and can convict and empower our children according to His will. And coming back to that verse in Proverbs 22, just by the way, historically, it has been shown that when you do train up the child in the ways of the Lord, in most cases, they turn out to follow the Lord. They stay in the ways of the Lord. Amen? So although it's not a promise, that is the way that things normally go. You ignore that verse, you could be looking for trouble in the future. Hmm. So, let us persevere. We have a part to play, definitely. There are things we must do as parents. Loving, the caring, the teaching, and everything else. Charles Spurgeon said, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. Oh, how I've witnessed this over the years. Parents sending their children to church, to Sunday school, or whatever. Sending their kids to catechism. Now, you don't send your children to church. You go with your children to church. You lead by example. If you want them to go a certain way, you go there yourself. If you want them to behave in a certain way, you behave like that yourself. But don't put your faith on your works and on your methods. Trust God. Your faith must be in him, not on your works as a parent. Stay close to God as a parent. Pray for yourselves. Pray for your children. Ask God for wisdom as you raise them up. Because parenting, being a mother, being a father, is a high calling. It is honorable. And it carries with it great opportunity as well as great responsibility. And it should not be taken lightly. And younger parents, be very aware of the ways of the world. The world is full of experts trying to tell you how to raise up your children, how to modify their behavior. And essentially, they are teaching you to let your child rule your life. Do whatever the child wants. Don't squash his personality. Let him grow up and decide what he or she wants to be, including if he wants to be a he, if she wants to be a she, or something else. From the pits, man. You find these days parents being manipulated and being bound by their children. I can't go here, I can't go there because my kid this and my kid that. And come on. You are to bring your kids up. Your kids go with you where you go. Kids are the most adaptable beings in the universe. Teach them. Train them. Love them. But you call the shots, not the kids. Their time will come. They're going to grow up. They're going to become teenagers. They're going to call the shots. <laughs> but as the children, you tell them. You show them. You guide them. You discipline them. Yeah. Including a little smack in the bum if necessary. Because there's, there's still a connection between backside and brain. Sometimes the brain only flips over and there's a little shock in the backside. Oh, yeah, okay, now I understand. Just because some parents have misused this and abused and used violence doesn't mean the principle is wrong. You do it right, man. You do it with love. If you punish your child, you tell them exactly why you're doing it. I didn't get many hidings from my dad. I'm a good boy. But every single hiding I got, number one, I remembered it. But number two, he told me exactly why he was doing it. And after the hiding, I was loved. He didn't just say they're sulking and reminding me of it. That's it. It's over. 
Lesson, hiding, punishment, over. Loves me again and we move on. And I learned my lesson. I could feel the lesson, man. And I'm still okay. I'm, I'm feeling all right, am I? I'm not too. <laughs> Survived. Praise God. Well, let's close with a little bit of a, a word to fathers now. Men, I'm going to talk to you now. You are fathers, and if you are thinking of getting married and being a father, this is for you as well. And some of you are very are, are on the younger side, but you are going to need to remember this. And by the way, the younger, younger folk here, the, the youth, did you guys enjoy your Friday get-together? Eh? Was it good? Huh? Yeah, all right. Thank you. The youth had a lovely time here on Friday, on Youth Day. Sure. And if any young people doesn't know about, don't know about our Friday, go on, go on our website and then click down the youth so that you can be kept up to date with what's happening with the youth. Fathers, have you guys noticed? Have you guys noticed that um, how, how the media plays down the role of the father? In series, in movies, in stories, when, when the father comes up, oh yeah, that guy. And they're always upset with the father. The father is always a stupid guy. He can't do anything. He can't fix anything. He just blows it. He's always wrong. He's useless, uninvolved, and so on. And they portray that negative image of the father. Have you noticed that? It's, it's like it's become so apparent to me. But you know what the problem is? You know why they're doing that? You know why the media does that? Because, see, often the media, and we don't, we don't want to hear this, but often the media simply reflects what's going on in society. Movies, trends, what are they doing? They're reflecting what's going on in society. That's why so often we agree with them or we get mad at the stories because we are being confronted with what is actually going on. And sometimes I don't like <laughs> what I see. I know as well, of course, that media, they have an agenda. And it's usually a liberal agenda which goes completely against the things of God. I understand that. But the fact is, it remains, that media tends to reflect the reality. And you know what? The truth is, we live in a fatherless society. South Africa, 57% of South African kids are raised without fathers. It's a fact. We've had, we've had, even in the church, some single mothers. They are, they, are the, they are the mother and the father. And I honor you ladies for that. But it's, it's, a, it's a sad fact. Sometimes the father's not there because he's passed away, he's died. But in most cases, he's just a non-present, an absent father. And research has shown that dysfunctional family life is the biggest problem with fatherlessness as the center of the problem. So the whole, the key to most dysfunctional families is the fact that the father is not there. Let me show you some general statistics. 63% of suicides come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated by displaced anger come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, prisons, they come from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless children come from fatherless homes. And 71% of children who do not finish school come from fatherless homes. And fatherless means either a father who's not there at all, he's abandoned his family, or a father who's there but is not present, he's not involved. He might as well not be there. Stephen Boscoville, a political scientist, says the following. Listen, virtually every major social pathology has been linked to fatherlessness. Violent crime, drug and alcohol abuse, teen pregnancy, suicide, all 
correlate more strongly to fatherlessness than to any other single factor. Listen, the connection with fatherlessness is so strong that it erases the relationships between race and crime and low income and crime. Now you've heard about it. There's a, there's a correlation between race and crime. Certain races are targeted. If there's a crime, it must be this race. Or if there's a crime, it must be poverty. If you're poor, you're going to do crime. Well, fatherlessness wipes away is so great that those two things become insignificant with fatherlessness being the major factor of all those problems. This is what research has shown. And guys, come on. Men, fathers, we need to change this. The church has to have an impact. The church has to be different. Christian fathers have to be different. Amen? We need to take our responsibility. You see, for a, for, a, for a male, for a man, to impregnate a woman is easy. But remember, when you impregnate a woman, what's in her womb is, is, is a being which is the image and likeness of God. And the man has to take responsibility for that. Yeah. So fathers, let us be present. Be present. And by being present means... Look at your kids. Listen to them. Talk to them. It is so easy for fathers to talk. Because, I mean, of course, come on, let's face it, guys. We are fathers. We know everything, don't we? So the kid is halfway through the question. You've already given them the answer. In fact, you give them various answers, various options. We, we don't even let them finish the question because we know exactly what they need and where they're going to go. Why must we even listen to the question? Uh-uh. Shut up and listen. And ask more questions. Ask more questions. All of us guys have that tendency. All of us. Be present. Never forget, my daughter was about two years old. And at that time I was doing quite a bit of work in my home office. And, um, and she came and says, Dad, you, 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 you never spend time with me. I said, but honey, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right, you, 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 yeah, I can, you can see me. I'm right here. She says, yeah, daddy, you there, but not here. Major wake-up call. Very quickly. Because, man, I'm in the house, and I, I work with her. My office door is open. She can walk in any time and talk to me. Da, 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 da. But she felt I was distant because I was there. I wasn't with her. And I began to take time to be with her. I began to take time to attend things in school. I took time to follow her, to, to, to spend time with her. And then later my son came along, same thing. I sometimes canceled meetings. I canceled appointments. I canceled things at work to be with my kids. <gasps> but you're a job buster. You, 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 you're bringing money to the home. How can you? you can... No, 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 no. Everything can be organized and negotiated and arranged. Your work must never be a priority. Number one, God. Number two, family. Then comes work. And then if you've got time, ministry and helping the society and so forth. Don't get your priorities all messed up, guys. And sometimes it is better to live with a little bit less money and have happy children and spend time with your family. And then have lots of money. And all your kids see is the toys you give them. And I've seen that as well. I've had... Teenagers and kids talking to me and saying, Look, I get all these beautiful toys from my dad, but I never spend time with my dad. I can't talk to him. He's never here. He's always working. But I said, But don't you don't you enjoy the, the things dad gives you? I'd rather have my dad. Fathers model faith and faithfulness. Be a model of what you want your kids to be. Don't break them down with unrealistic expectations, comparing, insulting, provoking, as we heard in part one. Kid comes home with a report. Look, Dad, look, look. 92%. What happened to the other 8%? What's wrong with you? And it's not a joke. I understand if a kid comes with 52% and says, hey, you know, could you do a bit better? 
but I've known of parents who complain because of 8% or 5% short of 100%. Come on, guys. If you want them to do better, come alongside them, encourage them, but don't break them down. And here's one. Love your wife. The greatest, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is to love their mother. And show it. Hug your wife. Kiss your wife in front of the kids. They might go, but you do it anyway. You let them see that it's okay to show affection. You let them see that you love that lady. It brings security. They might not enjoy watching you kiss your wife and again, but it brings them secure. But these two, they love each other. I'm okay. Brings a sense of security, but also teaches them to express themselves. I know people, I've heard of people. They can't say, I love you. They can't. Because they've never heard a father say, I love you to their mother. They've never heard the father say, I love you to them. And now they are grown men. And they're going out of this girl and they really have strong feelings for her. But they cannot say, I love you. Love your wives. Tell her you love them. Tell your kids you love them. Over and over again. It's okay. Rather too much love than none at all. Amen. Men, we need to take our place and lead as godly men and godly fathers. We need to Take the initiative and do what must be done. We need to realize that we need the Lord's strength to help us to be the fathers he wants us to be. And these might be some good things for us to talk around the fire as we get together on those. Write them down. Amen. I'll tell you what. Because sometimes us guys just need to get together and talk as men. You know, because sometimes the ladies, they also like to bring their opinion, and I, we love them. But sometimes men just need to get together and rub shoulders and, you know, iron must shop and iron sometimes. And so, come on, guys, let's, let's get together and talk about some real stuff, not just superficial nonsense. Let's get out to some real things that can make a difference in the world. Amen. So we're going to take a moment now and pray for the fathers. We're going to honor our Heavenly Father and ask our Heavenly Father to be the leader, the guide of our earthly fathers. Can we do that? Let me ask every father in the house, father and of course grandfather, to stand up, please. If you're a father, stand up. There you go. Wonderful, man. And those of you online, those of you fathers who are watching online, I, I, this prayer is for you as well, okay? And uh, if you are listening, this prayer is for you as well. As a father. And those of you that are sitting near these men, just stretch your hands towards them in blessing. Because believe me, the weight that is upon our shoulders is great. The challenge is great. And we need prayers. Number one, from our wives. And number two, from anyone else who would like to pray for us. Prayers are welcome. Thank you. Amen. So, Father God, I lift my hands in blessing to every father standing, every father watching, every father listening. I thank you, my God, for the fathers in the house, in this house, Lord God, in this service, whether present or online or in audio. And I, Lord, I just lift each man before you and ask, Father God, for your blessing upon our lives as fathers. Lord, I confess we need you, Lord. Lord, we may know a lot of things about a lot of stuff, but Father, far, being a father remains a challenging thing. And sometimes, you know, there's, there's no book we can turn to, but we can turn to you, Father. And so I say, Father, give us the wisdom that we need, the guidance we need, the insight we need, the sensitivity we need. Bless every father, I pray, my God, with your goodness. You are the greatest father of all. You are a father even to the fatherless. You are a father who understands, who is forgiving who is loving, who is always there, Father. Lord, let your nature become part of our nature as fathers, my God, that we may hear and see our children and give them the instruction and guidance according to your ways, oh God, so that they may learn from us by observation. By seeing us, even if we have to confess our weaknesses to them sometimes, Lord. Lord, break the pride in us, Father God, to be able to humble ourselves if necessary. To say sorry sometimes to our kids. 
To be firm when we need to be firm. To rejoice when we need to rejoice. To correct when we need to correct. But to correct in love and in proportion to the deed being corrected. And so I thank you, Father, for your blessing upon every man in the house. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Fathers, remain standing. Fathers, remain standing. Come on, let's give God a clap offering. Come, come. What, what is this? Hello. Oh, thank you. Is this for me? Is this for me? Thank you. Oh, man. Listen, it is, it is hard to be humble when you get a card that says, Best pastor ever. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, young man. Give me a hand, man. Thank you so much, guys. Bless you. Thank you, teachers. Appreciate it. So, fathers, remember when you finish the VR. Now, fathers, please remain standing as the ushers are going to give you a little gift. Okay? They're going to give you. So, ushers, please go ahead and start distributing. Now, fathers, don't sit down until you've had a gift. Once you've got your gift, then you can sit down. All right? So, oh, I'm going to. All right? Okay. Okay? Yeah. Okay? So, oh, lovely. Thank you. So they're going to give you a little gift, okay, for Father's Day. Uh, you see, guys, you guys are watching online now. That is why it's so much better to be present, you see. Because, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't send this to you. We haven't, we haven't perfected that, that technology yet, you know, where I can beam things to you there, you know. But maybe you get there one day, all right? Now, understand, some of you are quite far. Some of you are overseas even. But uh, those of you who are living here in Pretoria, <laughs> all right. Once you've got your good father, you can sit down. Guys, thank you so much for... For, for being here. Can we all stand now just to close in prayer and in benediction and uh, enjoy your Father's Day. Honor that man in your life, guys, all right? The Bible says honor father and mother. So no matter how old you are and how old your father is, honor the man, all right? And, and give God the glory for them. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. I pray that your word will take root in our hearts. Thank you for a wonderful day, Lord God, as you celebrate fathers and we spend time with family, Father God. Thank you for protection, your guidance, and for a blessed week until we meet again in Jesus' name. Now, my love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>